So sometimes we want God to move in our lives, and there's some situations where I've got to have that. I've got to see that situation turned around. I've got to see that change in my family. I've got to see that change in my marriage. I've got to see that change in my finances. And I'm convinced the reason more people don't see answers to prayer is they haven't come to that place yet. Because you see, once you come to that place, you, you won't stop praying. You won't quit. You will persevere because you have to because you have to and so Jesus is that's what faith does faith takes it as now now we're going to look at some other examples here let's go over to Luke chapter 11 another parable Jesus taught about prayer you know every time they have the Olympics on there's undoubtedly thousands upon thousands of young people sitting there watching these Olympic stars and boy I wish I could do that and four years come and four years go and they look at these people again say boy I wish I could do that and they're still sitting in their chair drinking their Diet Coke and eating their whatever and they're saying boy I wish I could do that but you see that gold medalist didn't win the gold medal by sitting in their chair drinking their Diet Coke and eating their candy bars or their potato chips, and I'm not getting after anybody for eating those, but that won't win you a gold medal. They got up at 4 o'clock in the morning. They changed their diet. They did whatever was necessary. When their body told them, I can't do it anymore, they made their body do what their body told them they couldn't do anymore. And that's why they ended up on that top podium receiving that gold medal. Because they... They, they, they willed to do it. It was their will to do it. All right. Luke chapter 11. Jesus, the disciples come to Jesus and they're asking him to teach them how to pray. Verse 1, it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, his disciples came and said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, as I mentioned last night here and during prayers, that it was a tradition for the rabbis to teach their, their disciples that follow them their style of prayer. There were different styles of prayer and different conventions to pray. And, and, and so they're coming saying, John the Baptist has taught his disciples to pray. Would you teach us? Now, they obviously saw something about Jesus' prayer that drew them, and I suspect it was his prayers were answered. It wasn't just a style that he got results. And so he says to them, in verse 2, When you pray, say, Our Lord, our Father, who, who, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now we've turned that into the Lord's Prayer but it was a prayer he taught his disciples and we, in fact, the problem I have reading it in the New England, New Standard, in the New, Ameri- New King James is I've memorized it all my life. My grandmother used to sit me on my knee, on her knee, not me on my knee, I mean, her, I'm tired, sit me on her knee and, and had me memorize the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer as I was probably four years old. She had me memorize it. And so whatever I read, that's what's going to come out of me because it was drilled into me. And that's not a bad thing. But the point is, we know it so much by rote. It's, it's, it's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 not to do. It's become a vain, meaningless, repetitious prayer. But it is a 
It is, it is a pattern that Jesus is teaching his disciples. And there's an attitude in there. And I don't want to get into that. Because what he goes on is verse 5. And I went through that because this is all part of teaching them how to pray. Verse 5, he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves. Now notice here is a friend that they're going to. Lend me three loaves. Three... <laughs> lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I don't have anything to set before him. And he'll answer from within. This is the friend and say, look, don't trouble me. The door's now shut. My kids are in bed. The dog's been put to play. You know, the dishes are put away. I'm not going to get up and give it to you. Verse 8. And I say to you that though he won't get up and give it to him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give to him what he needs. So here Jesus is saying again the same principle. He's saying, look, that friend won't get out of bed just because of their relationship with you. That friend's not going to get out of bed just because they're sympathetic to the need that you have because you've got a house guest. But that friend will get out of bed because you're bugging them, because you're persistent. So here, the prayer's not answered on the basis of relationship. Here, the, prayer, the, the request is not answered on the basis of need. It's just on the basis of persistence. And so what Jesus is going to go and explain is that same principle. He's not saying that God is like a friend that won't get out of bed. He's not saying God's in, not sympathetic to the fact that you need something. What he's saying is if this person will do it just because you bugged him enough, how much more will God answer your prayers when you're persistent? Verse 9, So I say to you, ask and you will be given to you, seek and you'll find, and knock and the door will be opened. The word ask there implies a persistent determination to get results, not wishing something. In fact, the word aito is the word, and it has in it an element of demanding something. It has in it an element of boldness and demanding something. Jesus over in John's, I think it's chapter 14, says, if you ask what you wish, it will be done unto you by my Father which is in heaven. That word is the same word, which has basically been translated, Weiss translation is a good one, it is, is demand something for yourself. So there's, a, there's an insistence in it. There's a compelling in it that I have to have this and I'm not going to be denied. That's what this word persistence means. I'm not going to be denied. I'm not going to get talked out of it. I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm not going to get worried in world doing. I'm going to come at this until I get the results. All right. Now, Why in the world, if God's God, and God could do whatever He wants, and we're determined to get the answer, why is there a problem? I mean, you've got God in heaven saying, here it is. I want to do it for you. I want to move in that situation. Because you're not going to talk God into doing something He's not willing to do. So don't even worry about that. So God already wants to do it. He's, he's called us to come and stand in the gap, to come and ask Him to do what He already wants to do, and we're now doing that. 
We now listen to last week's message and the week before, and we say, all right, yes, God, I really see the urgency, why this is important, why you need me to stand in the gap and plead on behalf of these people. And so I'm here doing it. So I'm here asking. And God's saying, here, I want to do it. Then why is there a problem? Why does there need to be persistence? Because it's not, see, sometimes we think it's God holding it back. But then God be playing games with us. Come ask of me so I won't give it to you just yet. No. This is one, in the middle of the night one time, I was praying over this. And the Lord just, it was this, this revelation that was so obvious. I don't know why I didn't see it before, but that's what revelation is like. It dawned to me. God, why would you tell us to come and ask if you don't already want to do it? Because it goes on, especially in Matthew's account, says, he says, would, would your, if your father, if you asked your father for a loaf of bread, is he going to give you a rock? If you asked your father for a, for, a, for a fish, is he going to give you a snake and play? In other words, is God going to play games with you and give you something but not what you ask instead of something harmful? Or The snake's obviously harmful, but the, the, the rock's not harmful. It's just you can't eat it. It's not what you needed. It's not what you asked. He's saying, if you being evil, what he means by that compared to God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give what's good to those who ask? So the problem isn't that he doesn't want to do it. The problem isn't that we haven't asked. We're assuming we've now corrected that. So what's the problem? Why does there have to be perseverance? Why do we have to persist at it? Why do we have to stay at it until we get results? Because it's not that simple. In cases where you're praying for somebody else, there's another, there's several other elements involved that affect what God's going to be able to do in their life. And the number one element is their own will. See, this is why there's a difference when you're asking God for something for yourself because the only two wills involved are His and yours. His, He's already expressed in here. Yours, you just got to make sure you're in line with it. That can be tricky sometimes. Sometimes you think you want something that you don't really want because there may be other things that come with it. Sometimes people want to be healed of something they think they do but in reality, they don't because the fact that they are, have that condition has become an excuse for certain things. And they don't realize that. So in their conscious mind, they're asking one thing, but down inside their will is holding back. So one of the things you need to find out from God is to have Him show you what it is you really want. What is it you're really willing to have? What is it your will is after? Not what are your emotions after. Not do what you wish you have. What is it you re- your will is exercised towards? Because if your will doesn't move towards it, then it's not going to happen. I mean, that's not that God won't do something so can't... But sometimes it's, we're, we think we understand ourselves and we're dealing with the surface level, but underneath there can be things holding us back. I've had God just open my eyes to see some things like, Oh my goodness. The Bible says, you know, our hearts can be deceiving. And if you don't think so, you've been set up. All right. So our, the will of the person involved is there. God 
will not violate someone's will. He gave it to them. That's part of what makes us like Him. That's what makes us different from the animals and the vegetables and the minerals. Because we have a will that we have the right before God to exercise, to say yes to Him or no to Him. The angels don't have that. But we have that will. And God gave it to you and He will not violate it. Now, He can influence it. And He will influence it. And our prayers for people, when their will is going this way, and God's will is for them to go this way, our prayers for them will empower God, the Holy Spirit, to, to, to work on their will. But He can't just march inside of them and flip a switch over and say, now you're going to serve me. Otherwise, He would have done it already. Let's go and look at uh, John chapter 15. John 15, we'll start in verse 8. No, it's not 15. It's 16. It's on 16, verse 8. Talking about the Holy Spirit. When He's come, and when He has come, the Holy Spirit, He will convict or convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in Me. Of righteousness, because I go to My Father and you see Me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You cannot convict anybody of sin. That's, and you weren't convicted of it by somebody else. The Holy Spirit may take your words or take the words of this book, which is what He did with me, or take whatever words they hear and He'll take those words and He'll work into their heart where you and I can't touch. This is why you can't, you can't bring someone to the Lord by your arguments. Your arguments may help answer questions and open them up to be really more willing, but it's going to take the Holy Spirit getting that finger of God in there and touching something down inside you and I can't touch, which then begins to motivate their will. Or maybe it's to see something, this was in my case, to see something that I was blind to before. In fact, First um, uh, Corinthians chapter 2, go there. I just mentioned it earlier. But let's go look at it. Verse 9 is the one I quote so often, eyes not seen, ears not heard. So we're talking now, let's talk here about somebody that's not saved. They've not seen the love of God. They've not seen the grace of God. They've not seen their need for a Savior. But the Spirit, verse 10, has revealed them to us But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the depths of God. What man knows the thing of a man? What man? What man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. These things we speak not in words which are man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. 
Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. All right. So the Spirit of God is the one that takes the Word of God and reveals it to them. He's the one that does the work on their will. Let's go to... Um, uh, well, let's stop there. Let's, let's, there's Ephesians 3 talks about Paul's prayer for the church was that the Holy Spirit would strengthen them by His Spirit in their inner man that Christ may actually dwell in their lives by faith. And so in order for Christ to live His life in us, the Spirit of God has to do things with our will. Over in Philippians chapter 3, it says, God who's at work in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. He doesn't work in us to will by getting in there and just going like that. His Spirit begins to woo. His Spirit begins to open your eyes to see things. His Spirit begins to work in there. So when we're dealing with a situation where somebody's will's involved and their will is going the other direction, what our prayers do is our prayers authorize and call upon the Holy Spirit to move into that situation and begin to work on God's behalf into their hearts and into their lives. But that doesn't happen overnight. I have news it didn't happen overnight in me. It probably didn't happen overnight in you and it won't happen overnight in them. The Spirit of God, He doesn't. He could have just blasted in in me probably, but it would have just destroyed me. He, he wanted me to make the choice because I wanted to, not because I had to. And over a period of time, it would be suddenly, something would just dawn on me. It was music that just touched me at a particular Christmas Eve service. Some of you heard me tell my testimony. It would be something else where I was reading in the Bible that didn't mean anything to me, and suddenly I came across a verse and it went, oh, that's what that means. Every one of those was a little effort, it was an effort by the Holy Spirit to Open that door of my will just a little bit. Well, there were people praying for me. And while they're praying, that's authorizing and releasing the Holy Spirit. Remember, God can't move in this realm, in this earth. We've learned that before, unless somebody authorizes Him to. And so when you're praying for somebody else where their will's the problem, you're authorizing the Holy Spirit to go in to move into their behalf. Look at me to Matthew chapter 9. Actually, go to Matthew chapter 10, and then it's the last verse of chapter 9 I want to look at. Now, if you look before, Jesus is looking out over the multitude, and he's moved with compassion because they're like sheep that have no shepherd. They're lost. In verse 37, he says to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. He's talking about souls here. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray for the Holy Spirit. He's the Lord of the harvest. To begin to motivate believers to go out in these days and to begin to harvest souls. Motivate them. Inspire them, open their eyes to see the plight of the lost, to feel what the Father's heart feels for all those who are lost. Move in their hearts that they'll be motivated to go out and do the work that they were called to do all along. The next problem, and we're not, we'll only get to start this tonight, the second major obstacle. Remember talking about, all right, God's up here. He wants to save them. He wants to reveal Himself to them. We're down here. We've now finally 
awaken to what our responsibility is, that we've got to fill this gap. So we're imploring God to move. How come we've got to persist in it? How come it doesn't happen right away? Well, the first thing we've seen is between God's will and my will in praying is the will of the person that I'm praying for. And so we're talking about asking God to influence, to move on their will, to open their eyes to see the truth, to move somehow, whatever it takes, Holy Spirit, you're the one that knows how to do that. But there's a second obstacle that can get in there. Ephesians chapter 6. And this is not just for praying for the lost. This is in other situations where something's involved, somebody else's situation is involved. Ephesians chapter 6. You know what? We'll do this next week. We'll do this next week. You want to know what it is? Come back next week. I don't want to start into it and then break and then come back and, and go through it again. I want to just pick up and, and, and do it justice next week. And this is a big one. This is a big one. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. We trust, Lord, that the Holy Spirit takes the words that have been spoken, even though they may have been mispronounced at times, that the Holy Spirit takes the words that have been spoken and sows them as seed into our heart. Jesus, you taught the principle of the sower, that the Word of God is like seed, and it's sown in our hearts by hearing it or by seeing it. And tonight we've heard it. Satan comes immediately to steal it. And where he can't steal it, he'll try to make sure that the soil it's sown in is not very deep so that pressures of life cause it to take no effect. And for those that it may have taken effect and he will try to get the cares of this world, the deceitfulness for riches and the lust for other things to begin to draw us away and, and, to, and to be focused on other things beside the word. But Lord, you also in that parable said that there's good ground where the seed that's sown is sown in good soil that produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. May the soil of our hearts tonight be good soil, Father. And we ask you by the Holy Spirit to do that.